Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desks, this is Housing Wire Daily. I'm Editor-in-Chief Sarah Wheeler, and today I'm handing off the mic to our senior real estate reporter, Matt Blake. Today, Matt sits down with Lee Kennedy, who is the founder and owner of AV Metrics, a company that tests automated valuation models, or AVMs. Kennedy has nearly three decades of experience in valuing properties and shares his insight into the pros and cons of AVMs, which are becoming even more prevalent in the space. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Housing Wire Daily. Hello, and welcome to Houses in Motion, part of Housing Wire Daily, and welcome to 2022. I am Matthew Blake, real estate reporter with Housing Wire. Each week, I will try to interview a guest who has something important and interesting to say about the biggest issues in real estate. For this episode, I spoke with Lee Kennedy about the necessity of automated valuation models, or AVMs. AVMs are the algorithm that lenders, government-sponsored enterprises, real estate brokers, iBuyers, bridge lenders, and other real estate actors use to determine what a house is worth. Lee Kennedy is the founder and owner of AV Metrics, which tests the merits of AVMs. He is routinely called on as an expert witness regarding home valuation models. And with nearly three decades working on home pricing models, he has authority on the news of the day, like Zillow announcing a wind down in their iBuying due to a faulty price forecasting model. I hope you found this conversation accessible and enjoyable. Please email me thoughts at mblake at housingwire.com. That's M-B-L-A-K-E at housingwire.com. Hello, and welcome to Houses in Motion. I am Matthew Blake, real estate reporter with Housing Wire, and I am here with Lee Kennedy, the founder and owner of AVM Metrics. Lee, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, My pleasure. So Lee, why don't you tell us about yourself and what you do and what AVM Metrics does? Yeah, so uh, I started testing uh, AVMs uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, while uh, at uh, American Savings Bank, which was uh, merged with Washington Mutual Bank. I ran a uh, business and analytics unit for them in the uh, risk department under the appraisal department. I was a district level manager. And uh, when we started uh, uh, going transactional, uh, with our uh, loan origination systems into the appraisals. Uh, we were using uh, AVMs at that time, but we weren't really testing them. Uh, we were uh, using human interaction uh, with the AVMs as part of our evaluation process. So this uh, new transactional system mean we had to make decisions computer to computer. So I developed uh, testing of AVMs on a national basis. About the same time, B of A was doing it, Countrywide was doing it, Wells Fargo was doing it, and, and I knew uh, the gentlemen at all those places that were developing AVM testing as well. So I've been doing it, like I said, since the uh, 
since the late 90s into the early 2000s. And uh, my background before that was I was a nuclear engineer on board a fast attack submarine, came out of that in the uh, 70s, went into manufacturing and industrial engineering. And my wife was always a real estate broker and appraiser. And uh, we decided uh, we would start a small cottage business and I learned to be an appraiser. And that was uh, in the mid eighties. Uh, and then went to work for the lending institutions in the mid nineties. So that's kind of how I got to where I'm at now. I spun uh, uh, AV metrics uh, as a standalone business when I left Washington Mutual in 2000. So I've been doing testing since uh, let's call it uh, 1999 of AVMs. And what does AVM metrics do exactly? Yeah, so we we stand as uh, like the independent third party in between the developers uh, and sellers of ABMs and the end users of ABMs. Uh, our business model is such that uh, uh, the vendors, uh, the modelers participate at no cost. Um, and uh, so we test, I think right now we're testing somewhere between 30 and 35 uh, commercial or lender grade models. Um, we've tested probably close to 80 or 90, but some of those were development models. Uh, some of those uh, were virgin control models. Some of those models have been retired. They don't exist anymore. We test basically on a basis and we roll that up into a quarterly report to get enough statistical observations to be able to do what we do. Um, and then we uh, sell those reports to major lending institutions, rating agencies, REITs, uh, securitizers, uh, the end users of the APMs themselves. So what is, I mean, we hear a lot about automated valuation models in the news with Zillow winding down its iBuying program saying that its price forecasting model didn't work. We also hear a lot about AVMs from companies like House Canary that say they have a superior alternative to the human appraiser. What is, in kind of the most basic language to say, like a Martian descending onto Earth, what is an AVM? And what what should people know who maybe haven't heard of an AVM, what it does? Yeah, so AVMs really started back in the 70s and 80s as a computer-assisted mass appraisal, comma, we used to call it, um, basically for assessment districts where they're uh, valuing the same properties over and over and over again. Uh, they started to develop in the mid-90s for the U.S. residential housing stock on the mortgage side of the business, basically for portfolio analytics, right? Get an idea of where your portfolio was at. More of a directional piece on the equity. Is the equity going up or reducing? Then it got into risk assessment. Da, da, da. Now it's, uh, it's developed with new uh, techniques of machine learning and uh, uh, coupled with artificial intelligence into some very powerful valuation tools. Hence the claims of like House Canary and Quantarium and, and some of the others that uh, there are circumstances where uh, these models do a very good job of valuing individual uh, residential real estate properties. And what are the inputs that go into the AVM and how are those weighted? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, the inputs into the models are much like an appraiser would use. Think of an appraisal emulation type of product. Um, you've got uh, qualitative and quantitative data uh, that goes in. The qualitative being uh, what uh, anybody would think about buying a house. What size is it? Uh, how many bedrooms? How many baths? Does it have a pool? 
Uh, how is it located within the neighborhood? What are the external conditions? What are the condition of the property? Uh, all those types. Some, some of that's qualitative more than quantitative when you start getting a condition of the properties, though it's factually based on, you know, whether it has granite countertops or what the remodel status is. So those are the normal things that you would think of uh, that are data inputs. Uh, we're seeing a lot more of the nuanced data inputs. You've seen it on Zillow with like the walkability score, uh, things along those lines, uh, microeconomic data, right? Uh, school districts, then these are things that appraisers take into, into consideration in their reports as well. Uh, I think the biggest data change that's happened in the last probably five to 10 years is the uh, the regionalization and the nationalization of multiple listing services. So there's a lot of um, qualitative data, uh, if you know how to get at it, uh, through the photos and uh, and the narrative comments on the property, uh, as to location and condition. Um, and then the government-sponsored enterprises, the GSEs, Fannie and Freddie, um, they have these UCDP data ports where there's a lot of appraisal data, right? Appraisal script data. Uh, and again, that's it, if you do your data mining well, there's a lot, there's a wealth of information in that. Those have been the two major changes in data. And how does that work as someone who does not have a mathematics degree? Like, how do you, like something qualitative, like proximity to nature, local schools, even number of bedrooms, which is, you know, a very basic input, like, do you then assign a numerical value to all of these? And, and, and can you, is there like a pretty reliable, precise formula for making these qualitative factors quantitative and getting to a home's value? Again, great questions. So it's uh, a lot of it is uh, stuff is straightforward on the quantitative portions of the data. You know, you can do regression analysis on that. These are, you know, pretty stock variables uh, in, in an equation. Um, it gets a little nuanced when you start getting into conditional deals. Uh, so if you're building a model, there are variables that you don't have, right, that you need to proxy for. Right. And in the past, condition and location has been two of the major stumbling blocks for these models because that information uh, was hard to get. It's getting easier to get now and easier to quantify. Right. If you don't have a variable and you have to proxy for it, that's an omitted variable or can create an omitted variable bias in, in the model itself. So that part is getting better. There's another thing that just think of it as the form adjustment process in a Fannie or Freddie appraisal form where, you know, it's, it really starts at the most important adjustments at the top and works down to the least, uh, you know, possible or uh, least impactful adjustments towards the bottom of the form. And that's the same way if you look at the weighting process, how much weight needs to be given to each of these variables uh, in the equation. Um, and appraisers and models both have trouble with uh, the statistical word is multicollinearity, and appraisers call it double adjusting, right? So how much weight are you going to put on, um, you know, the bedroom bathroom count versus the square footage, right? Because right. you can adjust it either way. So uh, those are some of the nuances in model building and, of course, the output of the model for those uh, qualitative and quantitative factors. I wanted to go back to a couple of the developments you mentioned because 
a lot of our audience is real estate agents. And you mentioned the regionalization and nationalization of the MLSs. I at sometimes with you know varying degrees of success have tried to track the mergers of various multiple listing services over the past few years. Some of these MLSs are getting like kind of bigger, like the bright MLS, I think, in the Northeast is getting bigger. So what kind of data are you now seeing in the MLSs that maybe like we didn't see 10 years ago? It's a couple different folds, depending upon the specific uh, uh, MLS board, because there was a lot of liability involved in for the MLS and uh, the square footage of the home, for instance. Mm. Okay. Uh, so uh, they've kind of got records on that and asterisk that out. So they don't want to rely upon a measurement that they're going to make or homeowners representation of that, which uh, if if you're from a modeler's aspect, you got to look at what I call field criticality. You may have uh, three or four different uh, square footages for the same property, right? Which is the most correct one? right, uh, that you're going to use. So you get into little nuances like that as well. But the general availability of data is there, right? There's hundreds of data points uh, in these MLS broker loads. And which ones are you going to use in your modeling, right? So there's a lot of data that you're not going to use, or you're going to combine and proxy for something like condition. And I think Another thing that I wanted to get back to was what you were talking about with the GSEs and their appraisal data. Maybe remind me again how that is affecting automated valuation models, but then also there's been kind of a review of like home appraisals right now in our country. Like there's reports of bias by appraisers. People are trying to understand like how appraisers like actually do their jobs. So like what kind of data do the GSEs use that, you know, A, can shed some light on that question, but also B, like, sort of inform automated valuation models? Yeah, so both the GSEs have their own internal AVM. Mm -hmm. uh, with Freddie Mac, it's Home Value Explorer, uh, which is commercially available as well. Um, Fannie Mae's is not a commercially available model. Uh, they just use it as part of their uh, automated underwriting system internally. Uh, but the uniform collateral data port, the UCDP on the new form stuff, uh, allows access to uh, all those individual data points uh, in an appraisal. And uh, both those GSEs utilize that information as part of their automated underwriting system and as part of their valuation modeling system. Uh, now, there's been a push for democratization of that data so that it's more widely available to the builders of AVMs and other uh, valuation practitioners out there. I don't personally know how far that's gone. I know there's a general call for it. I think uh, with the, uh, the bias studies, um, the appraisal bias studies, I think that's uh, a push in the right direction to democratize that data, make that more available so appraisers can make better decisions uh, and, and have a more universal data set available on these properties. What do you uh, what do you have in mind when you talk about like the democratizing of the data? Like what kind of data might Fannie Mae have that might be valuable for you or valuable for someone building an ABM? So think of the appraiser as being a data cleaner of, of sorts. So uh, it takes raw data from multiple sources, including their own files, and they validate and verify that data 
not only their own data, but public record data, MLS data, uh, agent data, you know, uh, parties to the transaction, those data points, they clean that all up and they put it in a report. So now you have very clean data points uh, that have been validated, verified. So that's what appraisers do as part of their business model, right? In order to get the, the facts straight. So they have to do that every time, right? For each and every appraisal. If you if you made that uh, data available, then somebody has already done that for your comparable property on the subject that you're working for. You know that that's good, clean data and somebody has already done the validation of verification. Makes your job a lot easier, right? To know that somebody, another professional has done that. For the models themselves, now you've got a good standardized, clean data source uh, which to rely upon uh, for those models to make their adjustments. You don't have the data noise that you would normally have if you're doing your own data standardization and cleaning. So it's 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 going to have a huge impact, I think, not only for AVMs, but for appraisers if they allow this uh, data to come back into the uh, public domain. Why are, to ask a deliberately provocative question, why are human appraisers still needed with all the developments of AVMs that you've described, or are they still needed? Great question. So again, you can keep asking good questions. But, uh, there's about 110 million residential properties in the U.S. Um, and uh, the models work really well uh, when there is a lot of uh, data, right? So in higher density areas, uh, the urban areas uh, where there's a lot of transactions going on, a lot of velocity in the market turnover change. They don't work so well when there's not a lot of transactions in the marketplace or very sparse data points, right? So where there's a lot of data, uh, where there's a lot of transactions, the models do really well. But at any given time, I would guesstimate that the models can only accurately produce values on somewhere around 50 to 60% of the U.S. residential housing stock because of those confines with data and with the market movement itself and the complexities of the properties. Well, the properties are very uniform, right? It's it, the, the comparable selection database and data points are a lot easier than one side of the street has an ocean view and the other side does not, right? Those right. are complex right. problems for, or, uh, you know, it's, an, it's, it's a non-tracked environment where every house is different. Right. The models don't do so well there. So the human appraiser involved in this is is really, uh, you know, the fuzzy logic that kind of puts it all together. They say art and science. Mm -hmm. Well, a well-trained appraiser is 90 percent science and 10 percent art or less. Right. Yeah, to use that. I think that's where some of the studies are showing there is a repeatable bias. Uh, with uh, uh, certain uh, appraisal factions or appraiser factions or in certain areas. But there's counter studies to that says, you know, that is not so much an appraiser bias issue as it's other variables and factors involved in, in the uh, appraisal processes as well. So in terms of, I mean, AVM metrics, you guys look at different, um, you know, different AVMs. And so... Like we report on companies like House Canary, CoreLogic, some of these power buyers, Orchard, Ribbon, that each kind of have their own in-house AVM. To you, I mean, is there much of a difference between these different AVMs? Like can one company really 
get a competitive advantage because they have a stronger AVM? It's almost a timeline. When I first started doing this, the models were fairly simple. Like we discussed, they did a pretty good job of non-complex properties and, and, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Uh, Hedonic regression, uh, you know, type of modeling. Uh, Now you have uh, uh, the newer generation of models, I would say, in the mid-2000s was um, all about uh, neural nets and fuzzy logic and, and such. And now the newer models, you know, you talk House, Canary, Quantarium, these guys, it's all about machine learning. Uh, the power of the, the computing power is, is, you know, double, triple, quadrupled, you know, year to year to year. And the data storage capacity costs have gone way down and data accessibility has gone way up. So you have all these factors kind of converging uh, and the newer modeling techniques are taking advantage of that. Uh, I've seen probably six models retired in the last three years uh, that were the older uh, type of models and replaced with new models. So I think the advantage is, uh, can you build a model based on the higher computer capacities, uh, the machine learning, and the data availability uh, uh, that we have today is going to give you a competitive advantage. But AV metrics, we kind of stand on the fence between the builders of the models and the end users of the models as a neutral position. So we test all these models. We do outcome analysis and sensitivity analysis. And what I can tell you is there is no one model that can value the entire U.S. residential housing stock, right? You need a a bevy of models to be able to do that Uh, because... uh, the same model that does a single family detached dwelling in Los Angeles between 250 and 500,000 isn't the same model that's going to do a mid-rise condo in Los Angeles County over mm-hmm. 500,000. The models are each uh, uh, tweaked to do a good job with certain types of properties, certain geographies, certain price tiers, and that's how we test. So we build what we call a model preference table. So you go to the table, you give it an address, you look at it, it says, for this property in this area, in this price range, in this property type, here is your best model or your best two or three models. And that's kind of how the industry uses uh, the models as well. Let's talk about iBuying for a bit because, I mean, first of all, obviously it's still of interest. I mean, we've been talking about like models to value homes. And with iBuying, it's like, models to value homes, but also models to like value what a home's value will be in like three to six months. So how is that kind of short-term price forecasting different or is it different from an AVM? I mean, we we deal with them as well on the testing side because they want to know, you know, what the most accurate model is for whatever types, groups, and geographies of properties that they're interested in in making offers on. Um, uh, but uh, an AVM, much like an appraisal, is a point set in time. That is what it's worth today at 9 a.m. And it doesn't have a lot of forecasting ability to it. Now, there is a group of uh, appraisals out there that do that. And these are corporate relocation or relo appraisals. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're set up much like an iBuyer would. They're valuing the pricing of the property, right? What would the property sell for? and a forecasted uh, date and time, you know, usually 60, 90, or 120 days, depending upon the market level. What's it going to be worth then 
so we can make an offer today because we need to get the employee out and moved and uh, take the property into inventory or get it on the market, not take it into inventory and understand. So that's a forecasting type of appraisal. I'm sure that the models can do forecasting. I know Veros, uh, you know, uh, they do their models built around a forecasting methodology. But it's not very often that somebody wants to know what a property is going to be worth 30, 60 or 90 days from now. They want to know what it's worth today while it's going through the contract price or they're going to lend upon it today. Right. Uh, Advance credit on it today. So those are probably in Zillow's case, probably two different models. The one that you see and I see, uh, you know, saying this is what the, the properties worth today. And then a forecasting piece to say, if we're going to be involved, you know, we're going to take this property in the inventory. What's it going to be worth in 30, 60 or 90 days, depending upon days on market transactions in that particular marketplace? What are the different inputs that would go into a model trying to figure out like what a home is worth in 60 days? You know, housing activity reports, what uh, what's your uh, current absorption rate in that marketplace, right? How long are the properties uh, on on market? What are the days on market? Uh, what are the list to sales price ratios of those properties? Other micro demographic data, what's going on in that particular marketplace? What's the competition from uh, new construction properties? Uh, you know, what's the employment outlook look like? You know, did Kodak just shut down their factory and move, uh, which is going to affect your uh, amount of properties in the marketplace at any given time? Those are all you know, forecasting type information or data points that you would probably take a look at in a, in a forecasting model. And I'm just scratching the surface for the guys that actually build those. So. so one last question for you. Where do you see AVMs heading? Is there going to be an increasing reliance on them? Is there sort of a fork in the road that you see coming up? Yeah, I think we've hit the fork in the road. I think the models, the newer type of models are doing really, really well. Uh, you've got question, the, the adoption by the GSEs for their uh, appraisal waiver programs is huge, right? They've just, I mean, I haven't looked at the latest percentages, but uh, it, it's almost like the majority of, of uh, what they're doing right now is without a traditional appraisal process. It's through their property inspection waiver programs. Um, that usually trickles because we had the same thing back in the early 2000s up through 04 or 05. There was property inspection waiver programs with the GSEs that worked really well. You don't hear much about it because only the properties that were easy to value went to the PIW programs, right? Only the borrowers that are extremely well qualified went to the PIW program. So there wasn't a lot of losses in, in, uh, in those PIW programs. But I think with uh, uh, Fannie and Freddie leading the way by utilizing these models as part of their credit extension processes uh, with the lending institutions, I think you'll see it trickle down to the lending institutions. You've got the graying of the appraisal profession. A lot of them look like me. Uh, and you don't have a lot of new people coming into the appraisal profession, yeah. right? So you've got to look at, at that. And then, of course, the, the, I mean, the, the elephant in the room is appraisal bias itself, right? Is that, is that really uh, happening? And at what level is that happening? And are the models uh, a potential uh, Band-Aid or are they a cure as part of that, uh, that bias process? So I think it's kind of a nexus point. 
where you're going to see the adoption and use of these models. Plus the uh, millennial generation or whatever it is. I know my kids, I don't think they've ever been inside of a bank, right? Everything's yeah. done electronically. Uh, people are buying houses. I, I just bought a house uh, a year and a half ago without seeing it. Uh, over, at, you know, I knew the area well enough and I could do everything over the internet. Um, so uh, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. And that involved uh, the use of valuation models too, pricing models to see what was going on uh, in those areas. So I think you're going to see this growing, uh, but there's always going to be a need for appraisers because of uh, the complex properties, unique properties, uh, things that the, the uh, model that uh, just too complex for uh, the level of the models to get to. Yeah. Lee Kennedy, AV Metrics, thank you so much for appearing on Houses in Motion. Oh, not at all. Always a pleasure, sir. Thank you. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwarrant.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.